Hello and welcome to another episode of Cafe Booleans. How is everyone? It's got this instrument called the kombucha. I'm trying to the kombucha. <laughs> <laughs> you have to grow it in a jar. <laughs> and tell everyone that you're- <laughs> As always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Alex, Susie, and John. How are you all oh, today? Hey, Costa. Fine, thank you. How are you, Costa? Good. I'm great. I'm looking forward to this buzuki uh, introduction here. So, John, you better make it happen. <laughs> I got to do my research. Yeah. Um, so today we're talking about a bunch of things, um, particularly looking at storytelling in video games. But before we we jump into that, um, I do want to hand it over to Alex to talk about some things with the SAFC and supporting game developers here in Adelaide. Thanks for handing it over, Costa. We share a mic on this podcast, so thank you. GCAP 2022, uh, the SAFC are sponsoring four all-access tickets for um, four lucky devs. So up to four successful applicants will each receive one all-access ticket to GCAP 2022, including the Australian Game Developer Award Night, the Agders. Up to four successful applicants will receive in-person support from the SAFC Game Development Executive at points before, during, and after the event. Travel and accommodation will need to be organized by successful applicants. For more information on passes, please visit the GCAP website. So that's awesome. Four passes, and we might see you there. What do you have to do for the application? Is it like, is it Squid Games? (laughs) (laughs) The uh, oh. no glacier is allowed. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the successful applicant has to build a game in Unity and not tell everyone they used Unity, and <laughs> you can't also crap on Unreal Engine. If you can do that, the ticket is yours. Um, no, South Australian independent game developers. So, who is eligible? The SAE independent game developers looking to upskill and connect with the wider Australian games industry. Applicants from all independent studio sizes are encouraged to apply, including solo developers. Funding is competitive and applicants are expected to have a clear plan for the event, including confirmed meetings. So, don't just go sign up and because you're like, yeah, that sounds cool. Be like, no, I really need to go and financially uh, I'm limited. So, this is providing an opportunity um, for those people. Hey, it's four, four of us. Very cool. This is true. We could. Can, can we just send in this uh, audio tape as our application? Yeah. We need confirmed meetings. Um, yeah, I know some other people who are going, so we can just <laughs> hang out with them. We're meeting each other. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they're from Before Adelaide we as well. But... Yeah, breaking news: everyone need not apply because we got the. T- <laughs> <laughs> nah, that sounds right. awesome. Cool. Back to you, Costa. All right, yeah, Costa's got a story telling. for us. <laughs> Classic segue. Uh, it's so a story story all about square how window. Yeah. Your life got switched turned upside down. <laughs> oh. So today's episode, I thought we'd explore storytelling in games. So I wanted to look at the different ways of storytelling in games. Um, maybe look at you know what are the pros and cons um, of the different ways in storytelling in games. Uh, also, is there a preferred way or a, a best way of storytelling uh, and, and how it differs from other th- mediums like books, uh, plays, TV shows, uh, and movies as well. So I would just want to open it up by asking, uh, what is everyone's most memorable and favorite like storytelling that they've seen in video games? And, and what was it in terms of like the different types? You know, was it environmental? Was it cutscenes, you know, was it um, narration? Was it, you know, the dialogue in there? Was it, you know, yeah. What's everyone's uh, favourite or most memorable that they can remember? Man, so many thoughts. It's uh, so many. I mean, immediately, I think of uh, the first Final Fantasy I played was Final Fantasy VIII, and I think that was the first game that made me cry with the story. There was a moment in there that was just like, but um, I don't think that was particular to video games, though. I think that was just a very good story on its own, and I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it was necessarily no. Actually, no. The the bit the bit I'm talking about in there is uh, you know, like it's kind of a romance story between the main character and one of the other main characters, um, and it gets to a bit where it's kind of like they've built up that romance 
for, you know, 30 hours or whatever because it's such a long game. Um, and then you think that you're going to, like, lose one of the characters. Um, and I think in that scene, yes, that would have been affecting if it was a movie, but being a game, it puts you in this, like, it's almost like a mini game where you're trying to reach out and grab the other character. And so even though it's a very simple kind of mechanic, I think just the action of you being the one that's actually doing it makes it all the more effective. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. The interactivity that engages mm. you in the story. Yeah. It makes you part of the story instead of like reading the story or hearing it, right? You're like a part of that. Yeah, totally. That's another thing. Like I remember the start of uh, the first Call of Duty Modern Warfare game where you're like the before the opening titles, you're like a hostage in the back of a van being driven through. Um, I can't remember what country it was. It was a Middle Eastern country. Um, and basically you can't walk around, but you can just move the mouse around to look around while you're being driven to basically where you're going to get executed. Um, and again, it's just the very fact that you can actually take control of a camera and look around makes it all the more immersive. So I, w- I wouldn't say that those things are like utilizing video games to what their extent is of what they can do for storytelling. Mm. But I think just as a base point that it just elevates it to a whole other level. Does it feel like there's like, um, like knowing you can't change it? Like if it's a linear story and there's a moment like that happens, like you were saying with the Final Fantasy one, does it does that add to it? Or like on replay, or you like, ah, uh, like you know, like you can change it by just failing, but like you can't change the story, yeah. you know? Well, I mean, in the case of the Final Fantasy one, it's like if you fail, you get game over. So then you just have to, you basically have to do it. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and then in the case of the Call of Duty one, there's no way to fail it. It's literally just an interactive, it's a cutscene where you can look around. So, mm. um, but like, you know, if you want to look at really cool video games storytelling mechanics, there's so many out there. I can't even think of a single one, but like a lot of it for me is when it's environmental. So if you look at like uh, Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask where you've got the three days before the moon crashes into the planet, um, just always having the moon hanging there as a constant visual reminder of like uh, where you are in that time cycle and kind of its menacing thing um, is huge. Um, and I don't like I don't know if I would always call it storytelling, but it, it, it is in the narrative experience that kind of emerges from the game, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that game is rife with narrative and, and like even unofficial narrative that um, fans have made up. Like that Majora's Mask is a symbol for death. Like the, every area of the game is yeah. a different kind, you know? Like, yeah, that's such a good example. Yeah. I think the other thing with the environment is like, uh, you know, as compared to TV shows or, or movies, because you can explore environments it's like there's so much more detail that just gets packed into it you know that's that's my feeling with it like one of my favorite games is um i I love the telltale games and even like you know the walking dead um from a narrative perspective just being able to have the choice like that for me was like blew my mind i was like wow the fact that even you know when you play it you kind of realize that in the grand scheme of things it is it's not heaps of choice um but I think that idea that you could like pick what you had to say and kind of understand that it would have some um, repercussions later on. But even in a game like that with the environment, you know, you, you just, there's just so much detail in it. Like in those games, you can go around and, you know, look at things and pick things up and interact with them. And it just teases out more information um, out of, you know, the, the story. Um, but you know, when you compare that to a to a movie, it's it's like a linear thing. It's you know two hours or three hours, and here's what the director wants to to show you, and you know you you can't look at that thing in the background and explore it and find out more. So um, yeah, for me, that's it's there. I, I love that, and I love that the environment really can have that that extra bit of detail. Yeah, totally. That's really sorry. <laughs> you go. It's, it's one of it's one of those things. Um, that uh, like yes, it can be done in movies and probably better in TV shows because you have more time with kind of the world and the world building there. But um, so I'm currently playing uh, Link's Awakening remake on Switch, 
Um, and I've never played the original, uh, but I'm actually really enjoying it. It's actually the first game I've played in a long time that I've just been like had no qualms about just spending three hours each day playing it because um, <clears throat> they were actually inspired by Twin Peaks, the TV show, which was I think the I think the inspiration comes from building kind of a small location. So in Twin Peaks, it's a town, and then in this game, it's an island, and then having like colorful characters there but then like because you get to explore it yourself and each area is kind of uh engaging in its own way you end up developing this relationship with the world that you're in um and so i mean i I wouldn't call that narrative story but it's a different kind of storytelling to me um shadow of the colossus did it really well as well where you're kind of exploring that world and you Something as you spend time in it, you want to explore it more, and by exploring it more, you're kind of it's this feedback loop when it's done mm-hmm. really well. Yeah, that's really cool. That um idea about the player choice and like crafting the story, Costa, like what you were saying about in The Walking Dead, making a choice and then it not actually affecting like the whole outcome. Like you're saying, they're quite limited. Um, in my PhD, like I did a chapter on like crafting player choice and like how much it means to the actual narrative um and it's pretty cool because like there's this idea that like your player experience is your player experience so like the choice that you make even if it doesn't impact the game narrative it impacts you so it Mm. impacts who your character is to you so it does change your player experience and then Mm. further to that too it changes how you play the game so how you interpret the game because you've made that choice. So, like, if you choose to, like, in The Walking Dead, whoever you choose to give the food to, it might not matter to them, but it matters to you because it made your Lee character someone who always feeds a kid first or it made your Lee character someone who mm. thinks about, like, diplomacy before they they do things. So it, it did change your narrative. Yeah, your, your personal narrative, not the kind of, you know, and your relationship with the character or you being the character and how that character plays out with the with the other characters in that in that world yeah Yeah. and even like how you interpret that game how you leave that game like Mm. when you go home at the end of the day like do you like lee do you hate lee like it's those choices that you made because his story arc is the same written the same it's Mm. you that's making those little decisions that might not seem that important but they are and the things like um you know if you've got a corridor and you've got two roads and one's dark and hallway and one's dark and one's light and your character's been through trauma and you choose the dark one you're you're enacting that bravery or Mm. that that your your character's becoming somebody who's brave and able to risk that and taking that whereas if you go down the light one you're maybe more conservative and it might yep. be the same hallway at the end, but how you got there is totally different. Mm. Did you did you find in that research there was like better ways or ways that ways of storytelling that uh, improved the player experience versus others? Like, was there a comparison of you know um, other things like cutscenes versus the kind of choice that you're talking about? Is player dependent? But so it's dependent on individual personalities, but Mm -hmm. there's different ways that you can use to kind of create that experience without having the huge branching narratives. So like if you want the impression of like huge branching narratives, you can have like small changes to little sections of the narrative that make Mm. things different, but then you still have those big key plot points that you need to have your narrative progress because otherwise it can just become like spiral out and then it's, no fun at all because then you've got no no structure to it. But one of the big ways that, um, and this is like one of the big things that I did in Hannah was uh, with the variables. So if you set some, if you take some information from the player and then save that information and then make that information relevant later to the story, mm. you can still have those same plot points, but something else in the narrative can change based on your earlier choices without having to have a whole bunch of different branches. Mm. And does it go? Yeah, go. No, so that's interesting. The idea that, um, like, you know, you, you, you wouldn't think that like in a, 
in a medium that you think is so expressive to the player, like they still need that control. They still need to be told, you know, what a story is, which totally makes sense when you put it like that. But when you're in the game, you feel like you could make any impact. Yeah, you know? and that's that's pretty cool too because that's that idea with emergent story and like you creating the story based on what's going on. And mm. that's why um, environmental story is so cool <laughs> and mm. like my favourite really because like you're – for me, like when I play, like I want the story. Like that's my main reason for playing games. That's mm -hmm. the thing I want. And so if it's an environmental story, like, you know, like a, what remains of Edith Finch or a game like that or Gone Home or something where you're exploring the world to find the answers, like that's the challenge for me. I want to find all mm -hmm. those pictures. I want to look at those photos. I want to turn the mugs upside down and get the number off them <laughs> that unlocks the thing. I want to do all that stuff because like, that's the goal for me, like finding that narrative. So you're, so you're a resident evil player that gets all the logs and like oh, definitely. between yeah. all the action. Will yeah. stop. <laughs> awesome. There's a, there's a really cool game called Tacoma, uh, which I think is made by the people that did gone home, but like in space. Um, and I saw it someone is, mention yeah. it on the Discord, but it actually, yeah, it's probably one of the best experiences I've had with games stories um, in that. So basically the the basic premise is that uh, there is a space station that had a crew on it and basically they all, something happened to them and they're all gone now um, and you're an investigator going to work out what happened. Um, and so you go to the ship and there's recordings of like everyone hanging out in all the different rooms um, and you can kind of play back those recordings, um, rewind them, all that kind of thing and walk around the room and kind of listen to the conversations that different characters are having with each other throughout that like, you know, five minute uh, recording or whatever it is. Um, and that, I can't remember how many there is in the whole game, but so it, it's kind of that cross between like character based and environmental where you are exploring the different conversations and as you unlock different doors, you can kind of get within a hearing distance of other characters saying certain things and you're just gradually unpacking the whole situation. Mm. Um, and it was a really cool premise and well executed uh, for, I don't know, it was like a five-hour game or something like that. So. That's a great game. Um, mm. And like you were saying with the environmental story, it's got little things like on the wall, like things signs yeah. saying different things mm. based on what time the recording was taken and stuff and and yeah it's and it's not linear so piecing together the, those those I love the recordings. amount of uh, detail like you said that's just just random props and stuff that are around those games both both Gone Home and Tacoma did it really well where you know even the main story aside because you go into all the crew members bedrooms and just like looking through their drawers and all the items they have in there what magazines they're reading <laughs> pictures of their family like there is so much character development that's just like in the background yeah. waiting for you to sh just to rummage through it's fantastic and that, <laughs> there's that one character that's a guitarist and you can just sit and watch them play for ages yeah like the recording yeah. it's so good <laughs> yeah no i love it so before um we put a thing out into the agd discord what do you reckon i reckon we'll just yeah through it now Sure. Yeah, through the it, thing we do one every now and then or something. Yeah, well, I was going to say um, we did ask this question to the community uh, and got a couple of different responses. I'll I'll try to skim because there's quite a lot through it. But thank um, you, everyone. By the way, thank you, everyone. Yeah, thank you, definitely. Um, but yeah, Kathy mentioned that um, that dragon cancer that dragon was cancer. beautifully done. Uh, she said, you play mini games while you follow a laughing little boy who plays outside and then in hospital. It may surprise you since my main game right now is a storybook, but I think games tell a story best when they don't tell the theme outright to the player, but that let them discover it. In Shadow of the Colossus, you gradually realize that the monsters, monsters you kill are not evil, but that evil grows in you the more you kill. In unpacking, you think you are playing a cute sorting game until you realize you are finding out about someone's life and how they are treated by the people they love. And in my storybook, Frog's Princess, you think you are following a fun story about a frog and a princess in peril. 
but hopefully you are discovering that people can have different but equally valid emotional reactions. Mm. Uh, Darcy also mentioned that return of the Oberdin and the deep dive mechanic in Cyberpunk are also pretty interesting, but both styles of storytelling in games that do not lend themselves to replayability. Um, Papers, Please, with the menial task uh, job game that lets you explore a world is probably the best non-standard storytelling uh, I've seen. So there's a quite a bit here. Sean, the Stanley Parable. Uh, Kai mentioned every day the same dream. Also Seaman, which he just seems to love. He always mentions that game. <laughs> uh, Emma mentioned Outer Wilds uh, does storytelling. The way they do, the way it does storytelling is quite cool uh, in that it just kind of lays the whole thing out in front of you in pieces scattered across a solar system and you go find them in whatever order you like. And it's a good story. I highly recommend it. Outer Wilds also has the mechanic like Madrona's Mask where it's basically a cycle that ends uh, and it ends up with a sun supernova instead of the moon (laughs) hitting the earth. So it's a good combination of those two things. Yeah. (laughs) Kawabunga Carmen also mentioned the storytelling in What Remains of Edith Finch, one of those walking games. I forgot what to call those other than walking sim. Uh, You have a whole bunch of different stories within that story, like the main narrative of going back to this big family house uh, is a frame in which you discover and remember all these memories of the family. And then those memories are like mini games and both the framing device and mini games play with written mediums in fun ways. Half-Life as well, which is another one that I was going to mention. Um, mm-hmm. It says we're basically in the 1960s of film, Darcy mentioned. But there's, there's, there's quite a bit here. Sean as well, Sean D, um, mentioned a few games as well. So, uh, same as you know, the return of Obra Dinn uh, told us a lot of its story through a series of frozen 3D environments. There was definitely some exposition, but a lot of your understanding of characters and their stories was discovered via investigating these frozen scenes. Outer Wilds, as well as another one he mentions, um, has you discover the story in an entirely open world style. So you're finding and tra- translating pieces of an old of old alien text, but you could find uh, any of them out of order. They're short, sharp, but pretty expertly written to always give uh, either some piece of useful information or some hint towards another piece of text. And another one that hasn't been mentioned is Kentucky Route Zero. Does the classic choose your response text dialogue tree but instead of your choices always making a big difference they are more explorative uh kentucky had a few uh, great mini s- scenes for example a phone hotline you could call and you'd go through there press one for x press two for y and discover all these le- neat little secret sections sometimes they'd say if you if you're more interested in more info call this number and you would discover another phone number which would give you some further interesting information tacoma was a great walking simulator which let you watch 3D AR recordings of this crew on a space station talking and so on. So there's there's, there's quite a bit there. Um, and I guess a lot of these uh, are talking about that kind of environmental uh, exploration. And I want to actually cover uh, just the, the progression, I guess, of how games have done, you know, narrative from, from the beginning of, of where they kind of came about. Um, I found a pretty good article which talks about the evolution of storytelling uh, in video games. And we're going to hear example, about Ken Levine, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, th- this one, this one kind of goes around like the storytelling through art direction and character choices uh, in Metroid, and how the technology was limited to eight-bit graphics and, and chip tune sound, but developers still managed to immerse players in the game world. Um, you know, making making the most of, you know, what little they could do with that technology. Um, but, yeah, it kind of talks about how the use of sound, dark colour palette and lack of words, uh, something as little as masking the character's face allowed for inv- advancements in video game narrative, primarily in how connected the player feels to the experience. Um, and, uh, yeah, it kind of goes on to how Halo was Halo and Skyrim being uh, quite popular for you know embedding a lot of details and putting the the player uh you know kind of blending the the cutscenes like the traditional kind of here's gameplay and then here's a cutscene and then here's gameplay um and having the the player be in the cutscene essentially um which i thought was uh, quite an interesting um 
take as well. And it talks about how, how that kind of has progressed to, you know, the walking dead and telltale kind of having the, uh, the, the branching um, narratives as well. But in terms of the types of uh, storytelling in, in games, we, we spoke about environmental, we spoke about uh, multi-path kind of dialogues. Um, has anyone kind of come across narration that was really well done uh, or, or cutscenes that were kind of really, you know, memorable in their mind? Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not the narrative person. This is definitely a, this is a good one for Susie. You, you would have a bunch that you're sitting on, I imagine. Um, but from my limited experience, I always thought, and I'm sure other games have done this just as well or better, um, and it's not as rare as I thought, but I thought the kind of progression with the first Mafia game in the sense of it starts in the f- in like current era, which is like 1938, and it's uh, the guy you play as, the, you know, the mobster that's turning, you know, evidence, recounting all the events that happened to him, um, to this cop. So you kind of know, well, you're not going to die in the game because also I'm blowing this. And if anyone's got a problem with that, turn it off now because this game's like 20 years old. Um, you, uh, you know, you play through the events of the game and then it gets you up to that point. And then there's no more to play after that, but there's still more narrative. And then you eventually do die, but like 20 or 30 years later, so this whole time you thought you had this like narrative, and but he's still narrating it after he dies. Like it, the, the game ends <laughs> on his on his body, um, and then it, that's one point of it. And then the second point is in the second Mafia game, um, it, you as the player are the one that's been sent to go kill you in the first game, and to you it's <laughs> nothing. It means nothing to you. It's just a small job that you're doing as a favor for this family. Um, you, you shoot him and then that's it. They don't play anything. And I was like, that is amazing as well. How insignificant they make you feel. Mm. But I like the, the setup of you thought this was a whole recount of the story, but you still die from it. (laughs) I've never heard that come up as like a thing of like, it's an interesting way to tell a story. It's, is yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, When you talk about narrators, uh, like portal, comes to mind and that's one yeah. of the best ones and probably the first ones that did the unreliable narrator thing really well. Um, Beginner's Guide is a really good one. Um, similar but different. Um, that That's a that's a hard one to explain without giving away. Uh, I think we've talked about it before, but it's definitely worth checking out if you've got a spare two hours because um, that one blurs the lines between what's game and what's actually real story <laughs> recount. <laughs> um, and then uh, what was the what was the one that Stanley Parable that he made mm, before yeah, that? Yeah, before that. I was going to say yeah. Stanley Parable. Yeah. That got mentioned in the Discord a couple of times as well. <laughs> yeah, That's, that's definitely a huge one for narrator. Like I think the biggest element in that game is the aesthetics. Like like it, that's what makes that game unique, the, the audio, the narrator, and then it's color palette and what it does with the. The color yeah. as well, but that narrator that 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 inset game that's it, right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I guess the other thing is what what does everyone feel are the strengths of of games as storytelling medium? I mean, we've kind of touched a bit on on the ability to explore and obviously play a choice and and how that that plays out in it. But what are also are there any weaknesses that anyone can think about um, of of storytelling uh, in, in video think, games specifically? I think the biggest pro is this thing that in academia they call interreactivity, right? And mm-hmm. it's this idea that, like, because people say oh, games are interactive, but, like, heaps of other mediums can be interactive, right? Like, we interact with things all the time. But um, what they say about games having interreactivity means that if you do something to interact with the game, the game system can change in response to that. So you react to the game and then the game reacts to you. Whereas like other mediums like that you might be able to like interact with, they can't react to you in the way that the games can or mm. other, you know, type of software type things. So that gives you 
that extra level of immersion where you feel like what you're doing actually matters because you see a response to it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another way that, that games can engage you in the narrative on a deeper level because you feel subconsciously or consciously that what you're doing is affecting that narrative because you see the results from it. Is that on a like a macro and micro level? Like micro being if you attack a guard and a macro being how what you do affects a larger story? Yeah, because you're on guard, like you're thinking about what's happening as you play. So you you think before you attack the guard, you think, oh, what am I if I attack the guard, what might happen? My other guards come. Am I going to change the story in this way by mm. calling five more guards here who are going to kill me? Or, you know, do I need this guard or whatever, whatever. Whereas if it were a linear story, if it were a book, for example, you'd just be reading, then I took out the guard mm. or whatever. That's such an interesting point. I don't even think about that, that like your micro interactions in a game are a story. Like if you read that, it would be interesting. But if you play that, you kind of just gloss over that. It's just like it's something in the way that they you killed have to. a bunch of guards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but yeah. you're actually choosing how and what and this and that, and there's yeah. just so much more thought that goes into it. And yeah. it goes back to that same idea before about your choices mattering in your narrative, your choices mm -hmm. making your narrative. It's what do that you guys kind of motivation as you go on as well when you make those decisions that you want to keep going to see, you know, that feedback loop that you're talking about. Hmm. Well, what do you guys think of, um, okay, so this is a, a con, I think, to start with, mm -hmm. um, is games, and I've seen this more recently, where games have different difficulty settings and the the earliest one is it's either casual or it's like uh, I want to experience this game like watching a movie. So it's basically like just like make it easy just so I can experience the story. They usually call it story mode or something like that. Um, and I found a lot of games recently do that and then I still like die <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> and it's just like not easy enough for me. Um, some games do it well. Um, but I think as a response to that kind of thing, you know, you've got YouTube channels now that are uploading gameplay um, and, you know, doing full playthroughs. But then you've got YouTube channels that are uploading what they call the movie version of a game where they just edit all the cutscenes or like major plot events together. And so you can actually just sit and watch that straight through. Mm. And that, that's a big thing. And I've actually found myself watching those more for games that, you know, I either don't have the time or the kind of patience to get good at <laughs> to experience the story. So things like Call of Duty and things like that, where I'm not that interested in actually playing the game anymore. That's the... It's like the only way if you have no time that you can experience Metal Gear is just watch seven-hour cutscenes of the games, you know? Well, yeah. that's, that's really interesting like that you bring up Metal Gear because, like, Kojima's a filmmaker, right? Like, that's where mm. he comes from. So, like, what he brought to games is, like, that, right? Like, think, like, he comes from movies and he's like, oh, what about this and this? And we can have these epic cutscenes and we can do these cinematic sequences. So, like, maybe... From those games, if like what he values is the cutscenes, that's the part that you find the most valuable because that's the most work was put into that, or thought was put into that, or he wanted the whole narrative to be clearly communicated through that because of his yeah. approach. Yeah, I mean it's 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 plausible because I mean then Metal Gear Solid Five just devolved to the point where um every mission started with credits with Kojima's name sprinkled over it like every time <laughs> but it became like the most ultra cinematic that loading the game was a cinematic you know yeah I've, I've seen I've seen that kind of approach of uh cutting it together and putting it into a movie with the back to the future telltale game because there's okay. a lot of like back to the future fans who just don't want to play the game but want a new back to the future movie so <laughs> yeah uh someone's I think someone's edited it on YouTube where it's just like this you know, super compact, all five episodes of the Telltale game. And and it's very it's got like millions of views. People just want to watch it and, and experience it like a movie as opposed to a game. So yeah. Mm. Yeah, totally. And I think some games you do definitely lose something. Uh and other games you don't. <laughs> and that's mm. probably a good good tell if the game's actually got well designed gameplay or not. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. 
And it's what, and maybe it's what you're, and kind of like what you said, Susie's like what you're into it for, like the game. Yeah. Like maybe you're just into it for the, you know, if it's if it's a game that's very much like storytelling through cutscenes, you maybe just want to experience the cutscenes. You just want to like get the story and not really deal with any of the gameplay. Yeah, like, or also I mean, like what kind of mood you're in, right? Like, yeah, you, sometimes you just want to sit there. You don't want to click. <laughs> well, that's a good yeah. point, though, because like I mean, I I find myself some nights just like I don't have the energy to play a game. I have the energy to watch a movie though, because it's like somehow mm-hmm. less intense. Less energy, yeah. Yeah. One of the other things that um, I found as well, which people have at least an article said that uh, it's a negative to uh, games storytelling, or maybe it's just like a challenge, was around the balance between like gameplay aspects and and kind of pacing of the narrative. And it says here, Final Fantasy and Pokemon have been accused of this. Does anyone feel like those games, like Pokemon, maybe you're of like bad kind of- pacing? Yeah, like you know, you know, because Pokemon, you're kind of going through and 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 battling and that kind of stuff. But you know, from a like you know, there's there's cutscenes in Pokemon where you you speak to your mom or you speak to like mm. you know, there's not as as much of that as there is Pokemon. I would say that's not a negative. Like it's just a different kind of game. Yeah, um, but, I'd say. Yeah. Po- I mean, Pokemon definitely has a narrative, though I wouldn't call it its strength. Like that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time, it's not. Uh, Final Fantasy is more people play that more for the narrative. I think. Um, though, if you want to talk about pacing, uh, I recently played uh, one of the Bla- Blaze Blue fighting games. Uh, there's they one that they put out on Switch, I think. Um, and I played the story mode of that, not realizing that it's essentially a 15 hour visual novel with about eight fights scattered through. <laughs> um, yeah. And so it's a it's a fighter game. I thought it was going to be like you know, like 10 minutes of visual novel and then like fights and that kind of thing. But yeah, no, I, I, I did that over about two days <laughs> and then regretted it because, <laughs> cause it, yeah. Um, some people love that. Um, especially people who are into like visual novel games and stuff like that, but that I hadn't bought a visual novel game or at least I didn't realize I had. So that to me was the worst pacing I've ever experienced, <laughs> but you know, if that's your thing, <laughs> then that's your thing. <laughs> That's interesting. There, uh, there's, sorry, you go, Susie. <laughs> okay, um, I was just going to say, I wonder if like some of that stuff that you're seeing as pacing is more that ludonarrative dissonance stuff where the, the narrative of the game and the actual mechanics don't mesh so it makes you feel uneasy like, or you mm. go, well, that's I've, not quite right. I haven't heard of that. What's, can, you, can you elaborate on that? Uh, yeah, so an example of that might be like... Um, in uh, Metal Gear, where Snake, he's always like, like he always talks. He's like, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm one step away from death all the time, and I take any chance I can to kill dudes, and blah blah blah. Right, I'm a killer. But then it's like literally a stealth game, right? <laughs> so you might be like playing, and you're like, hmm, pretty sure Snake could, you know, just break this guy's neck. But instead, I'm in a box. Like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so the di- is it the difference between the gameplay and the and what the story is? Yeah, so that's why they call it Ludo narrative dissonance. So there's like a dissonance between the Ludo, like the play, and then the mm. narrative of the the game itself. And quite mm. often that's things like characters, like that that don't quite mesh with what they're saying or doing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With or the- things like Spider Man. You know, I'm your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man just going to break some necks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think this yeah. also might be coming from a perspective, like at least this this opinion here around when you play, maybe it's in an RPG because it says here pacing is a common issue in RPGs with, I think it's with when you kind of go for a quest and then the quest takes long before you get another kind of bit of information like story because yeah. I think that's what it's saying here and it says here around this is why Blizzard has significantly cut down the time it takes to reach max level in World of Warcraft. It's kind of the pacing of like grind. I think it's grinding is what they're talking about in this context. Yeah. Or like yeah. when you're like, you know, s- someone asks you to go and collect a gem or something. And then you're gone like three days and you come back and they're standing there still. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what I kind of wanted to ask as well. Because I think this is really good because I'm very, I, I have like a, a bit of an insecurity when it comes to narrative and stories because I, I just don't 
very not a lot of stories, right? So like I just assume every narrative must be good and the ones I don't like, I'm just not understanding. But hearing this starts making me think about a lot of cracks in these kind of things. And that what you just said about you go away for three days. Is that when that's actually the main story and not a side quest, is that bad writing? Like as in the the mechanics of the game or the tasks that they've given you would take you a long time on your first playthrough. Now imagine it's like a, whatever you call it, like a negative exponential curve of the amount of time of playthroughs of a game. Like everyone will play it once, maybe 50% will play it twice and maybe 5% will play it three times. So you're designing a game to be played on that first go and they've designed a mechanic or a mission that takes you um, weeks, days, whatever to accomplish and in the game's universe, especially bad if they have a day-night cycle like Ocarina of Time or something, but in the game's narrative, it was all one afternoon or it was all a day. I've, I've never liked that. I just assume because no one ever brings that up that that's not an issue people really care about. But to me, that's that's the seam in the textures, you know? There's the narrative version of seam in the textures is, is that bad writing? Like, did they have to make it so, you know, Ocarina of Time only takes place over a few days or what? It, um, like reading the manga is very different to the, the game. But yeah, is that bad writing? Well, I think you get, when you're playing a game you your mindset switches so you're in the game right like you know it's a game you, you're not playing a game going oh this is real life it's, i'm really going to see deckard kane right like you know maybe that alex, it's a maybe game alex is. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that i think that that um that you know temporality of time is like you you, you know that it's not there so as long as that whatever they're using for their time measurement is consistent in the game, I think you'll be right. I think you'd be fine with it if it feels like it fits within that game. So if when you go out and do your quests, you see some day and some night, you'd probably be like, yeah, it's been days. It's been mm-hmm. nights, whatever time's that, passed. That's one, of, that's one of those oversights I think people, maybe a lot of people, maybe not Alex, <laughs> have kind of just accepted in Game Slayer because whether they put it down to technical limitations or something like that. Because you, you would never forgive that in a movie if like it like five days had passed and then the person gets there and it's like, oh, yeah, it's been a day. Like, well, we've just seen you go through five days. But in a, in a game, I guess we kind of go, like I remember playing Ocarina of Time and finding out that like you could light torches with fire on the with the stick and to me, that was mind-blowing because not just because it's a cool mechanic, but it was like this real-world kind of comparison that I had never seen in a game before. Mm. And so um, that whole day-night cycle thing, maybe we'll get to a point where, you know, most games do that accurately based on the story and then we can't go back. If a game doesn't do it, then we'll start seeing the world like Alex is describing it where it's like, this is terrible. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, That's I just... That I, I, time I, thing, though. Sorry, Alex, you go. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just saying, yeah, I... Um, yeah, no, that's just something that always bugs me in games is, like... Because there's so many things... Because I, I don't focus on the narrative. I focus on the art. And there's so many things that the art gets criticised for. But narrative mm-hmm. seems to get, like, a pass sometimes with, with little mechanics like that where, where little mechanics in art don't necessarily get a pass sometimes. But something like that, I'm like, just... Just say it took this long, you know, or, or something like that. You know, <laughs> I don't know how you do that, but I'm not a writer, you know, so it's easy to criticize. You, you're Alex. definitely not the only one that skips through story, though. By the way, I've got other friends who, yeah, will like skip cut seeds and stuff in front of me, and I'm like, no. <laughs> but that's <laughs> the key, bit. especially because like some of the, especially RPG games. Like, I'm pretty sure their whole model is you reward the player with story for getting through the hard gameplay bits. So, whereas, you know, other games like Zelda is more about the gameplay, but then stories kind of laced through that, I think. Mm. Alex, have you played a game called Lifeline? Mm -mm. I want to give you homework. I want you to play Lifeline. (laughs) (laughs) It's Uh, It's on mobile. Oh, okay. I got no excuse. And it, yeah. 
and it's um it uses time kind of like um you know how like in hannah it's got like times where hannah's away and comes back mm. lifeline does something like that but like really really well mm. um but the reason i kind of want you to look at lifeline is that it's got one screen and then it's text-based and it's just like a narrative <laughs> yeah but so it's like hannah yeah, but yeah. what it does is it's like um, it's sci-fi, and it, it the art that it has it creates imagery in your head, like a lot of imagery. So it's very like like if I imagine the game, I can see it, right? Wow! But there's no images. Wow! Right? Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So I'd be really keen for you to play it and to see. <laughs> oh. What so do you make I'm, of it? I'm Googling it and it, so there's the one you're talking about, but there's also a PS2 JRPG called Lifeline Voice oh. Action Adventure. Go <laughs> <laughs> play that. One of the play other things. And compare them. Yeah. One of the other things actually that I, that I found online was uh, some quotes from some people in the games industry on what they felt was the best and brightest uh, games in narrative with storytelling. So I'll, I'll just run through a, through, a, uh, through a few of them if anyone's played some of these games. But um, Matt Armstrong from Radical Entertainment, the design director there, said it's difficult to quantify best, but one of the most enjoyable, immersive, and incredibly well-told stories I've experienced in a game is actually Yakuza 2 from Sega. Nagoshi's team did a truly stunning job of crystallizing every Asian gangster movie I've ever seen into a perfectly crafted, wonderfully paced, and beautifully executed melodramatic masterpiece. The characters and their interrelationships are deep and utterly believable, and the various twists and narrative high points are perfectly pitched and frequently quite moving. The execution on the cinematics in Yakuza 2 is similarly impressive, great over-the-top dialogue, wonderful voice acting, and mocap. Perfect pacing and truly incredible cinematography all combine in a way that, in my opinion, still hasn't been bettered nearly five years later. But obviously, this is way later than five years since Yakuza 2. <laughs> um, You're really prepared for this. Me? <laughs> I said, you asked them these questions years ago. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Another one was uh, Dave Anthony from VP of Production from Treyarch. Um, I have been most impressed with Heavy Rain. Quantic Dream built on the foundation set by Indigo Prophecy and delivered a quite thrilling and engaging cinematic experience. I was most impressed with how efficiently they get the player and to the realization that their actions are having direct and meaningful impact on the outcome of events and story. Has anyone played any Quantic Dream games? Yeah, I love them. Mm, Heavy Rain. Uh, what was the second one with El uh, Elliot Page and Willem Dafoe? Beyond Two Souls. Beyond Two Souls. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. that was better than I was expecting. <laughs> there was, they both did a really solid job in that. Um, and then uh, Detroit Become Human, which was, Great. in my opinion, fantastic for the first third and then a B-grade movie for the second third. <laughs> so, mm. but, but, but overall, a really good experience. <laughs> I was just, just adding to what you said before, Alex, around the expectation of, you know, in a movie, something takes five days and then they, they don't, like, that would be a thing that someone would realize. Do you think that's because, like, we're trying to shoehorn the storytelling of, like, movies into games or the way that we expect a story to be told in, in movies, you know, being, like, a very linear kind of, like, A, B, C, D versus in games you can just experience like there's games out there where they're not so linear and it's kind of just like you explore and do everything that you want and it'll come out in, in the story will come out in ways that, you know, you don't expect. Those contact dream games are very linear. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think it's to me, it's like, why does a day night cycle like, you know, it limits to, Sun goes down, moon comes up, moon comes down, sun comes up, as opposed to now, like, and some games do do this. I've just been like, now you cannot do this bit anymore. 
or and not to say you can't ever do it right like because i know understand it's a game but it's stressful what's the reason why the original plans for majora's mask didn't work they didn't want to do that of having it a seven day cycle and you don't repeat everything has to be done um but i feel like there's a middle ground there's like a missed opportunity i think of like if it's important to the developer to say there's a day and a night why is it just aesthetic? Like, why why isn't there more things time. of, yeah, of time? You're saying that, the, so basically what you're saying is that uh, there's the, the mechanic of day-night cycle, but it's purely aesthetic and it doesn't actually map to the story itself. Yeah. Like, it, it's, used, it's used too commonly, I think, as a superficial medium rather than exploring what it is, you know? Like, I think, yeah. I think even... Um, Oh, I'm going to mess this up. There's something in Majora's Mask about the um, the way that the sky changes or something like the stars. It's like such a minor detail. I remember seeing some documentary about this, but like on each night, the star placement is different. No, 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 no. Sorry, that's got nothing to do with that. The I think <laughs> I read this thing that said that the star placement at night is uh, procedurally done due to file name or something like that. Like you've got a different sky depending on that. Oh, wow. That's got nothing to do with the passage of time. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but if that's true, um, but the, Majora's Mask gets a pass because it does. That's why you needed the expansion about. pack to play. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just, uh, yeah. Like I think, I think day nights is just always uses for the aesthetics and not for enough for, a flow of time kind of thing. Like you don't mm. see that a lot. I know that's a harder thing to control and, and what does that serve for the narrative? But, you know, as I said, you can make the same argument as to uh, why there's seams and textures. It's like, well, who's going to notice all these little seams? And it's people like me. <laughs> well, so, I mean, look, Ocarina of Time does this a little bit, but like if you look at a game like Animal Crossing where whether it's day, night or seasons, it's – very much tied to what events are currently available. Like, would you call mm. that, is that like the optimum way of using that? Is that what you're kind of talking about? I think so. And um, uh, like Stardew Valley as well. Like it's day, night, day of week and time of year. Like that's that's very much to the kind of extreme that you kind of could go within a game medium. But yeah, it still loops because you just wait a year. You know, like it goes. You missed it the first time around. I keep going. Like that's a that's a game that does that well. Uh, have you played the Persona games? Like Persona Four uh, is the one I've played, but it's a it's a JRPG, sort of a visual novel dating simulator <laughs> as well. But um, the whole the whole thing is you've got dungeons that you can only access on certain days of the week. I think it is. Um, and you have to basically use your time effectively. You can only go one place each. I think it's like one place during the day, one place at night or something like that. So you can go to two to three places a day. And so you have to kind of like pick whether you're going to places where you develop your relationships with other characters or whether you go train and level up your characters to get strong enough for the dungeon. But then if you end up going to the dungeon and you end up getting a game over it then restarts that like two week cycle or something like that which is mm. for me a pain in the ass but it's actually like <laughs> narratively a, and like mechanically a really interesting concept where you're having to manage your time between like character relationships and just character like grinding yeah. <laughs> and leveling up kind of thing like yeah. the yeah like from dating simulator from this yeah speaking yeah, of dating simulators I was just going to say it, it's taken that day, night thing, week thing, but to a whole other level. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Susie. Yeah. Calling you with those. No, I was just going to say that's a really cool that, that idea, like taking that element from dating simulators of like making that choice about which thing you work on, which skill you improve or which person you're going to hang out with or whatever. Mm. Um, and then, then tying that to those days. Um, but I was going to say like, Dating simulators, like, I can't believe that we haven't mentioned Haddo Full Boyfriend, which oh. is uh, <laughs> that one that I bring up a lot. <laughs> Wait, is that? that is very cool. Is that the uh, pigeon one? The pigeon one, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> I've never played it. Is it? Is it worth it? 
It is so worth it. What is this? <laughs> so... The, the first half of the game you'd play and for some reason you don't know why you're a human at a school for birds and the birds are sentient and you're trying to get a bird boyfriend <laughs> and you, you're just kind of playing it and you're choosing which lessons you go to and which birds you talk to and you know which skills you improve based on which birds you like and then uh you like the you see some weird stuff in the visuals of the game. So you're at the school, everything's normal, and then you and the rest of the class go outside of the school and you see that, like, the city is covered with vines and completely run down and starting to crumble. And you mm. go to a cafe that's, like, all the windows are smashed in and there's no humans, there's nothing around like that. And you just keep playing. It's not mentioned. It's not acknowledged at all. Just keep playing the game. Um, and when you finish the game, when you eventually find your, pick your bird lover or don't, <laughs> whatever, you get the option to play again, uh, replay. Um, I think it's called uh, Face Reality or something like that. <laughs> and uh, spoil lots of spoilers now. But um, when you play the next part of the game, you kind of learn what was going on. Um, and it turns out like, humanity was completely wiped out by these birds um, who like reacted to a mutated um, bird flu vaccine and instead of like it getting rid of bird flu it made all the birds like sentient and like super smart way smarter than humans <laughs> right but so much of that is like just stuff that if you go back and then play the first part, you're like, oh, well, that's why that cafe smashed in. That's why the yeah. buildings are covered. That's why everyone's acting weird to me. And there's stuff like in the first one where one of the pigeons says to you, I love the taste of red meat. And you're like, all right, <laughs> that's weird. But then when you go back and play it a second time, you're like, all oh, right, <laughs> get out of here. Oh, wow. Actually, you just reminded me um, that whole like New Game Plus thing opens up some really cool narrative possibilities. Yeah, the Doki um, Doki stuff. <laughs> yeah, like Doki Doki. I haven't played it, but I've heard about it. Crazy stuff there. Um, this is uh, one one trope, and it is a trope now, but I really like is the whole like these kind of like Japanese games like Pokemon or um, Undertale did this really well as a parody, but where you've kind of got this lighthearted game and then you have like this secret lab that you can unlock later on and you explore and there's always like really fucked up um, (laughs) stuff in there that explains like the rest of the game in this really logical way and just flips it on its head. I just, I love that in games. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) My fiance is like really scared of birds. So (laughs) that just hearing that and I was like, even if I was to explain that to her, she would be, She'd have nightmares, like absolute <laughs> nightmares. <laughs> oh, man, don't play that around her. <laughs> so you're telling us, Costa, that you are not a hatful boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pigeon. You're a pigeon. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a pigeon eat chicken, so uh, red meat's not going to be too far off. <laughs> We're all going down. <laughs> yeah. Well, they eat anything, don't they? A lot of birds. Pretty much. Like they eat, eat each first, other. ask questions later. Yeah. <laughs> That's where the whole pecking order comes from. <laughs> oh. oh, I don't like that. Yeah, chickens are little dinosaurs. Yeah, 100%. That's where it comes from. Chickens are dinosaurs. They're evil. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Scary. If you can inform the movement for the animators in Jurassic Park, then there's something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and on that note, I think it's time for us to wrap up on this one. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, do we have a another community question about narratives? Um, well, what about what's your best example or the best example of Ludo narrative dissonance you've seen? Mm. Ooh, dissonance. It might be a fun. Yeah. One. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for chatting. Mm-hmm. Thank You're you. welcome, Costa. <laughs> Have a good one. <laughs>
Also, catch you guys next time. Cafe Bullions is hosted in Adelaide, South Australia. If you know of anything happening or would like to reach out to us or have a chat, you can find us on Twitter at LiveBullions or by emailing us at hello at LiveBullions.com. <laughs>